Lauren and I don't have a great history with boats. Years ago, when we were living in Scotland, we went out for a, a, with a couple of our friends, with a, my brother and his friend, and hired a couple of rowing boats, just in a little boating pond. Uh, but somehow my brother broke his oar. don't know if he was just pulling on it so, so hard. And we just thought it was hilarious. So we, Lauren and I, in, in one boat, started just to laugh. And somehow our boat just tipped up <laughs> and sank in this little boating pond. She ended up standing on the seat of the boat, trying to keep out of the water, and I had to jump out and drag the boat to the shore and hand it back to the person we paid for it. I said, sorry, and <laughs> make a quick exit. Then a couple of years ago, Lauren and I and the, and the girls, we were out in Loch Derg over in the west. Beautiful uh, loch. And we got a little motorboat that you can hire. And, and I drove it first of all. You know, the man drives it first and then Lauren wanted a shot. So she, had, she took a shot. But for some reason, it just went from side to side to side when Lorna was driving. And it nearly, so nearly tipped up. Uh, she wasn't allowed to drive any longer after that. <laughs> then we've had some really horrible ferry crossings. In fact, when we moved here first, 1999, we got one of these fast ferries. Now, it was supposed to be one of these fast ferries that skimmed across the top. So it wasn't really affected by the waves. They lied. It was awful. We, we got some breakfast, it was the early morning, and the breakfast trays were just flying off the tables. And Lorna and I spent most of the journey in the bathroom, being very seasick. It was horrible. So most of the time when we go on ferries, and we, we do a, a couple of crossings uh, quite regularly, uh, we get on the boat, we take our travel sickness pills, get these little bands that are supposed to be pressure point bands that stop you from being sick and we just sit there and try and not move as much as possible and usually we just about survive and so nothing would want would, would, would lead me to want to swap places with Noah and his family can you imagine being on that boat feeding those animals cleaning out their pens Dealing with a whole range of noises and smells. And not just having to put up with that for a few hours, or a few days, or even for a few months. But you're having to put up with that for nearly, for over a year. It must have been horrible. But finally, things did begin to change. And they began to change because of the faithfulness of God. So we're going to read in Genesis chapter 8 this morning. We're going to read just the first 14 verses, then we're going to read on later on. So keep your Bibles open if you have them. Uh, and uh, if not, then just listen as we read from chapter 8, verse 1, down to verse 14. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth. And the waters receded. Now the springs of the deep and the floodgates of the heavens had been closed and the rain had stopped falling from the sky. The water receded steadily from the earth. At the end of the hundred and fifty days, the water had gone down. And on the seventeenth day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. The waters continued to recede until the tenth month. And on the first day of the tenth month, the tops of the mountains became visible. 
After 40 days, Noah opened the window he had made in the ark and sent out a raven. And it kept flying back and forth until the the water had dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground. But the dove could find no place to set its feet because there was water over all the surface of the earth. So it returned to Noah in the ark. He reached out his hand and took the dove and brought it back to himself in the ark. He waited seven more days and again sent out the dove from the ark. When the dove returned to him in the evening, there in his beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Then Noah knew that the water had receded from the earth. He waited seven more days and sent out the dove again. But this time it did not return to him. By the first day of the first month of Noah's 601st year, the water had dried up from the earth. Noah then removed the covering from the ark and saw that the surface of the ground was dry. By the 27th day of the second month, the earth was completely, completely dry. wonder if you've ever struggled with God's timing. you ever wondered why things are taking so long in your life? Why God seems to work so slowly? Have you ever felt as if God has forgotten you? In Psalm 13, one of my favourite Psalms, uh, David asks, How Lord, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long, O Lord? Time is a real challenge to faith. And the hours turn to days, and the days then to weeks, and then to months. It becomes harder and harder for us to keep on trusting in the Lord. Now, I don't know if Noah felt like that, or his family felt like that. The Bible doesn't really give any insight into how they felt during their time on board the ark. But it does tell us, or sorry, it doesn't tell us if they wondered if the rain was ever going to stop, if the flood was ever going to disappear, if they were ever going to see dry land again. But what the Bible does tell us is that they had to wait an incredibly long time for this all to happen. Rain fell on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. And then the waters flooded the earth for 150 days. And then even when the water started to recede, things went painfully slow. We read in verse 4 that on the 17th day of the 7th month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. Five months of floating around finally came to an end as that boat rested somewhere in the mountains of Ararat. But it took another seven months before the land had completely dried out by the 27th day of the second month. So Noah and his family spent a year and ten days on this ark. Surely they must have got so tired of that confined space, so tired of all those animals, maybe even so tired of each other. And yet they waited and waited on God's timing. 
And in our Christian lives, we need to learn to do the same. God says in Isaiah 55, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's ways are not the same as ours. God's ways are not always the ways that we would choose. His timing is often incredibly different from what we would want. God is never impatient. He's never in a rush. And so we need to learn to wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart, and wait for the Lord. We need to wait on God's perfect timing. And God's perfect plan. And I think most of us find that incredibly difficult. Incredibly difficult to wait on God. But we can do this with confidence. Because God has declared that He is faithful. Look at verse 1 again. God remembered Noah. And all the wild animals and the livestock that were with them in the ark. Noah and his family might have felt that they were, had been forgotten about. They might have felt alone and abandoned in that boat on an unending ocean. But the reality was that God had not forgotten them. God had not abandoned them. Instead he remembered them. And so he stopped the rain. And so he closed the springs of the deep. And he sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. God had kept Noah and his family in his heart. He was holding them in his hands. He would complete the work that he had begun in their lives to protect them from the, from the flood and provide for them a new world in which to live. And this is the wonderful truth that we can stand in this morning. On so many occasions in the Bible, it says that God remembers His people. God remembers His people. God doesn't start a relationship with us and then abandon us. God doesn't start to work in our lives and then give up on us. He's a faithful God who remembers his people and keeps his promises. And so the Lord says in Isaiah 49 verse 15 Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. And that beautiful promise. I will not forget you. Yes, we might still go through some impossibly difficult times. We might seem experience some incredibly dark days. 
We may still struggle with seemingly unnecessary delays. But throughout them all, we can have that confidence, that unshakable confidence that God has promised, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. We can be sure that God has not forgotten us. We can be certain that God has not discarded us. We can, be, we can hold on to that wonderful truth that God has not given up on us. Why is that? Well, it's because God has covenanted himself to us. Remember that God had said to, to Noah in chapter 6, I will establish my covenant with you. God had committed himself to Noah and to his family. And God keeps his agreement. God honours his contract with Noah. And God will do the same with each of us who have trusted in Jesus. This is one of his promises in Jeremiah chapter 32. He's talking about the future new covenant that he's going to make, the one that we are part of. He says this, I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them. And I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. So the moment that we repented of our sins, the exact moment that we put our trust in Jesus, God covenanted himself to us. He agreed, he made an agreement with us. He made a promise to us. His complete forgiveness. His unending love. His constant presence. His powerful protection. And his eternal blessing. And nothing and no one can ever make God go back in his word. Because God is faithful. So today, we can wait on God's timing with the confidence because we can trust in God's faithfulness that he always remembers his people. He always keeps his covenant. And he will complete the work that he has begun in our lives. What an amazing confidence we can have as we wait on God. But I don't think that means that we should just sit back and just let things happen. Waiting on God doesn't mean that we wait and do nothing. Let go and let God does not sum up the whole of the Christian life. Noah waited in God's timing. He trusted in God's faithfulness. But he also tried to get involved in recognizing and understanding what God was doing in the world. So we read in verse 7 that he sent out a raven first of all. And it just kept on flying back and forward. And it didn't tell him much information about what was happening on the earth. So Noah tried again. And he sent out a dove to see if the water had receded from the ground. 
First time it just came straight back. As if I found nowhere to land. Second time it brought back a freshly plucked olive leaf. Which gave evidence of the new life that was sprouting up on the planet. Then the third time it didn't come back at all. Showing that the water had fully receded. Now I don't believe that this is because Noah was being impatient. I don't think this is a sign that Noah was struggling to wait on God. There's actually a beautiful rhythm to his actions here. I don't know if you noticed that, that he did, he sent out the raven, then he waited for seven days, and he sent out the dove, then he waited for seven days, and he sent it again, and he waited for seven days, and then he sent it out again. He follows God's example of that weekly cycle, showing great patience and waiting for God to do what he'd promised. So I don't think this is Noah being impatient. Instead, I think this is Noah getting involved in what God is doing in the world. Because throughout this whole process of this flood, we've seen that Noah was not a passive passenger in it. He was involved with God in building the ark. He was involved in boarding the animals that God brought to him. He was involved in feeding them with the food that he had stored up in the ark. And now he's involved again, investigating the drying process. Understanding what God is doing. Working out what is happening in God's world. And I think that's the same for us. God has not called us to be passive passengers in his kingdom. Just sit back and wait for God to work it all out. Instead, he's called us to be active participants in his kingdom. For we are God's fellow workers. What an amazing privilege that is. Trusting and waiting on God doesn't mean you switch your brain off and you sit back and do nothing. Instead, it means seeking to understand God's ways. Struggling to comprehend his purpose and his plans. Getting into God's word. Investigating what God is doing. And then stepping up and and partnering with God. Working with him. And accomplishing his plans and his purpose. For me that's one of the most exciting things about being part of God's family. Is he's a job for me to do. He's a purpose for me. I'm not just a spare part sitting on the sidelines. God has a job for each and every one of us. And he wants you and he wants me to get fully involved in what he is doing. But but of course, as we've seen this before in Noah's life, yes, we're called to be active participants and God's fellow workers, but we always need to remember who's in charge. In response to the evidence from the dove, Noah removed the covering of the ark and he saw that the ground was completely dry but he did not make the decision to leave the ark. Instead, God did. Look at verse 15 please. Then God said to Noah, Come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. 
Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you. The birds, the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number on it, upon it. For over a year, Noah and his family had experienced safety and security on that boat. It had been their home. It had been their world. But God had so much more for them than that. He didn't want them to stay on that boat forever. It had a time and a place in their lives, but they weren't called to stay. They had to get out, bring the animals out so they could explore and enjoy and fill that new world that God had provided. That was where the people of Israel failed in their, in their lives. After being rescued from slavery in Egypt, they stood on the border of the land of Canaan, the new land that God had promised to them. But they were afraid. They were afraid to step out and and go and enjoy all that God had provided for them. Because the challenges ahead in that land were great. The enemies were fierce. The battles ahead were terrifying. And so instead of trusting in God's promises and stepping out into what God had called them to do, they rebelled against God. And they actually said we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Where they'd been slaves. Where they'd been abused and beaten. Instead of launching out into God's provision, they wanted to go back to the familiar. And as a result, they spent 40 years wandering in that desert until that whole generation had died. But Noah wasn't going to be somebody like that. Noah was someone who walked with God. Even when God led him into a new, frightening, unknown experience. So when Noah was told to build the ark, Noah did everything just as God had commanded him. And when he was told to enter the ark, Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. So when Noah was told to leave the ark, Noah obeyed. Look at verse 18. So Noah came out, together with his sons and his wives and his son's wives, all the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on the earth came out of the ark, one kind after another. Noah walked with God. God commanded Noah And that's what we need in our lives, isn't it? This is what Jesus said. John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will obey what I command. If you love me, you'll obey what I command. God's commands can be demanding. God's commands can be challenging. It's tough sometimes to step up into what God is asking us to do. It's tough to launch out into the new life that God has has called us into rather than going back to the familiar. It may feel much easier and safer just to stick with what we know and what we're used to. But God 
God has prepared a new life for us. As we, so as we wait on his timing, as we trust in his faithfulness, as we work in his partnership, let's not hesitate. Let's listen to God and let's obey what he commands. Not because we're afraid, not because we feel duty bound, not because we are guilt driven, but because we love him. We want to please him. And we want to do what honours our Lord. So Noah and his family stepped out of the ark into a brand new world. There was so much for them to explore, so much for them to do. You know, stepping into a land with nothing in terms of buildings or homes or farms or any of that. So much for them to get, get busy with. But look at what they did first. Verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. And taking some of the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. This is Noah's first response. It's to worship. Not to get busy with all of the practical details. Not to go exploring. Not to build a house for him and his family. But to build an altar to the Lord. To celebrate God's goodness. To rejoice in his grace. To thank him for all that he'd given. And he was willing to do that with some of the animals that he just rescued from the ark. Kind of from a a logical point of view. Maybe your brain doesn't work like that. From a logical point of view I'm thinking, really? Surely there were just so few animals around. And the world was so huge that every single animal on that ark was needed. None could be spared. But true worship doesn't hold back for just practical reasons. True worship is always extravagant. It's not stingy. It's always costly. It's always sacrificial. We're called to give something that we'll feel the loss of. This is what David said in 2 Samuel chapter 24. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. I will not sacrifice to the Lord burnt offerings that cost me nothing. He was not willing to give to God in worship something that actually cost him absolutely nothing. wonder if we are willing to do that for our Lord. Do we only give him what we have spare? Do we only give him whatever time that we're not really busy doing something else? Or are we willing, really, to make a sacrifice to honour our Lord? And honour the one who saved us. Why should we give like that? Because God has already given to us like that. This is what Romans chapter 12 verse 1 says. I urge you brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Holy and pleasing to the Lord. 
This is your spiritual act of worship. In view of all that God has done in our lives, what we just celebrated in our time of communion, when Jesus laid down his very life for us on the cross, how can we hold anything back from the one who loved us and gave himself up for us? We should respond with nothing less than our whole lives laid down. You know, this chapter doesn't end there. It doesn't end with Noah doing something for God. Instead, it ends with God again expressing his grace. Let's just read it very briefly. Verse 21. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of man. Even although every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. God was pleased with the sacrifice that Noah had made. And so he promised mankind that we'd never destroy the world again in that way. And that regular pattern in the world, regular pattern of nature, of temperature, of seasons, of night and day, they'll continue for as long as the world world does. God again promised his faithfulness to his people. And that is what it's always like for God's people. When we respond to all that God has done in our lives with sacrificial service or with worship, He responds again by giving us even more grace. That's what John chapter 1 verse 16 says. From the fullness of His grace, we have all received one blessing after another. Think about it. God has rescued us. God has redeemed us. God has adopted us, who have trusted in Jesus, into his family. And he has baptized us with his Holy Spirit. And he has given us the desire and ability to live for him. Equipping us and empowering us for his ministry. And then, When in gratitude and worship we lay down our lives as living sacrifices for the Lord. He showers His grace upon us again. And again. And again. When we serve Him, He gives us those gifts of joy and satisfaction and love and purpose. And it's not just for now. But he promises that when we go to be with him forever in heaven, he will reward us eternally for what we have done in response to his grace. The Christian life is not about what we do for God. It's always about receiving more and more grace from God. He is always the giver. We are always the people who receive. I think those days in the ark must have been really tough for Noah and his family. 
but God was with him. And that made all the difference in the world. So folks, let's, let's follow in their, his footsteps, in their footsteps. Let's wait on God's timing. Let's trust in God's faithfulness. Let's partner in God's work. Respond with, to God's commands. Celebrate God's goodness. And receive again God's abundance.